This week on Dig Me Out. I am I am fallible. It's unacceptable. Alright, I resign. <laughs> no. Tim and Jay review the real Ramona by throwing muses. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me back this week after his week off, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay. Tim. We, uh, we missed you. Here I, here I am. You were. What I missed? Well, you missed um, a roundtable discussion Damn that it. we held on uh, influential bands of the 1990s. We decided that the the most influential band of the '90s was Nickelback, and that <laughs> if you had been there to, to dissuade us, we might have changed our minds. But were they around the '90s? Yeah, like the late '90s. Like I think they were around like '99, like first album, perhaps. I don't know. No, uh, we had a good talk with uh, Shawn Michael Foster and Eric Peterson about '90s influential bands on the 2000s this week we're doing a album review or we're doing an album review to correct my english um it's one that i picked jay throwing muses their 19 i believe it's 91 album the real ramona nope yeah 91 jay are you familiar with throwing muses i am i um i think i mentioned it a couple episodes um over a couple episodes in the last couple years in the mid '90s, specifically '94, '95, uh, I started going to the library a lot and just trying to get new music because uh, the radio was terrible and, frankly, didn't know what else to do in terms of uh, discovering music. So I just started going to the library and getting CDs. This was one that I picked up along with, uh, I think, Gentlemen. I, actually, no, I'm sorry, it wasn't this record. It was uh, University. It was gotcha. University from 1995. And gentlemen, and I think a Catherine Wheel record and a couple others, but yeah, so I was familiar with that record somewhat. That um, one has a uh, bright yellow gun is the single, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I remember playing at that at the radio station. That was the first exposure to throwing muses. But I actually have a little bit of a story about why I picked this particular yeah. record. So <laughs> this is kind of weird why I picked this. For like a week, I was hearing a song in my head and I couldn't place it. Like I was thinking like, was this off of something we reviewed a little while ago or where is this a song on like I heard on like Sirius like and I was hearing this like chorus, the super poppy chorus. I thought maybe this is spider bait. Is that what's in my head? Am I thinking of a spider? I went back and listened to the record. I'm like, no, I can't find it on here. And then I was sitting at my desk, and I listened to Sirius at work um, most of the time. And I was listening to Sirius Online has a uh, a number of channels that you can't get in your car. And hmm. one of them is called um, College Radio. Hmm. And it's all 1980s and 90s college radio songs, stuff that was never played on like mainstream radio. And cool. this song came on that all of a sudden matched the song that was in my head. And it was the song Not Too Soon by Throwing Muses. And it was that that chorus of the song. And I went, oh, my God, that's the song I've been hearing in my head. And I realized that I must have had Sirius on at sort of a low volume a week or so before. 
and that song was probably playing and it got into my brain like without me realizing it subconsciously I, it filtered back out and it started you know having this little earworm going so mm-hmm. and then as soon as i heard it again on sirius i heard it like 10 more times over the next week a series kind of can you know, have a condensed playlist yeah. week to week that's my only issue with them <laughs> yeah you'll find a, a pocket of brilliance and then you realize that uh if you keep listening throughout the day you're going to hear that same pocket eight times right <laughs> so it made it made me want to go and listen to the album because I had no recollection of of the album whatsoever. Yeah. So that's how I ended up on this this album, Jay. Um, yeah, I was a little bit like that that with them too. I mean, I had never heard this record, but just when I saw it in the schedule, I was trying to recall what they even sounded like and was not quite able to uh, remember. Well, let's talk a little bit about their history, just briefly the history of. Throwing Muses. History of the band. So the band formed in Newport, Rhode Island in 1981, although they really got going around 1983. Their first release was an EP, and then they did some demos, which got them signed to the European label, or the UK label, 4AD. They were actually the first American band to be signed to 4AD, which was home to like the Cocteau Twins, another a number of famous uh, 80s artists would later be home to the Pixies and uh, various other bands. But Throwing Muses was the first American band signed. And uh, they released their first album in 1986, self-titled Throwing Muses. That was followed by House Tornado in 1988, uh, Hunk Papa in 1989, and then this album, The Real Ramona, was released in 1991. So I want to mention who the lineup... There was a lineup changes, so I just want to get to the lineup on this particular album. Uh, vocals and guitar were were done by both Kristen Hirsch and Tanya Donnelly. And then on drums was David Narciso, or Narciso, or I don't know how you say it, N-A-R-C-I-Z-O, and then Freda Bong on bass. Now, the interesting thing about the drummer... Uh, I read a quote here from him. He said, I had never played a drum kit before uh, joining Throwing Muses. All I'd played was marching drums and concert drums. We found somebody whose kit we could borrow, and it arrived without cymbals. I learned to play on it without cymbals, which then became my trademark early on. Hmm. So that's an interesting point to take into this uh, review, his drumming style. Upon the release of the Ramona... Tanya Donnelly left it to form Belly. Uh, the bass player, Freda, Freda Bong, joined them as well. So, and Tanya Donnelly and Kristen Hirsch are related that they're stepsisters. So, with Tanya leaving and Fred leaving, um, Kirsten brought in a new bass player, um, and they released in 1992 Red Heaven. And then in 
1995, Jay, the album you mentioned, University, became the first of their albums to chart in the U.S. They had had a number of albums that had charted in the U.K. Uh, this was the first. It reached number 10 on the U.S. Billboard Heat Seekers album chart. In 1996, they released Limbo and then um, broke up in 1997. Chris and Hirsch would put out some solo records, and then they would get back together in 2003 to release the second self-titled Throwing Muses record with Tanya Donnelly joining on backing vocals on five songs. And it was 10 years later before they released another Throwing Muses record, Purgatory slash Paradise, in 2013. So if you have an album that you would like to suggest for us to review, please visit our request review page at digmeoutpodcast.com. We did get one piece of feedback, uh, Jay, on this record. From Facebook, Tony Phillips says, Great album. Came to it late after being a longtime fan of Belly. Definitely has a sound of its time, but a lot of this is production. But a lot of that is production with guitar and bass tone. Red Shoes is a highlight for me. Also love closing the album with Two Step, one of my favorite early 90s songs. Very solid songs throughout. So, Jay, let's get into this record i i stated my reasons for picking this i want to get your reaction to this album the real ramona from 1991 by throwing muses tell me one thing that you liked about the record well it's interesting you mentioned the drums there is something peculiar about them (laughs) uh part of it's the performance sometimes and part of it's um some interesting choices with the production but i think for the most part on the record it does. They do make up a pretty good rhythm section, um, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, they can be pretty dynamic. They can be a little robotic sounding at times. I think that's the weird part I mentioned earlier about the drums. I think when they sound odd, they almost sound not not necessarily like a drum machine, but just very stiff. Um, and potentially that's you know an artifact of somebody. What, what sounds like was playing on a full kit for the first time. But then there's other songs where they loosen up, actually. Like a song like Honey Chain mm-hmm. um, is is much looser sounding. And I think that's where, you know, rhythmically that works even better when they can get that kind of that comfort zone. But, um, you know, that found, foundation makes for some interesting guitar uh, parts and textures. Um and that's probably one of the things I like the most about this record is is just listening to um, how they approach it from a guitar standpoint. The tones are they're a bit dated. Um, you know, when they use acoustic, it sounds like you know an acoustic plug straight into the board, and there's a lot of chorus on on the guitars. And mm-hmm. when they try to use distortion, it's it's not a great sounding distortion. It's kind of a little tin canny. But the parts are really cool. Um, so. They do some really interesting dynamics between the two guitars. One will be doing something almost percussive or more chord-based, and the other will be kind of floating in the background, either you know, kind of doing um, something with a lot of delay, uh, sometimes almost a slide kind of sound. Even though they might not be using a slide, it's kind of like that long notes um, floating around. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they'll come in and, and, and lock up on some different parts. And so I, I enjoyed that, that interplay between the guitars being able to, uh, kind of roam and be creative while the, for the most part, the rhythm section is very, uh, 
very tight and purposeful. You mentioned Honey Chain. You can tell me I'm crazy if you think I'm crazy, but when I heard that song after like two or three I times, I know what you're gonna say. It did it not sound like an early demo of My Curse by the Afghan Wigs? It did. It absolutely did. Yeah. That was my big note on that song. It's my favorite song in the record, and I don't know if it's my favorite song because it sounds like My Curse or or not, but it definitely sounds like My Curse. And this is a couple this would have been written in like ninety or eighty nine, I'm assuming. Yeah, which is yeah. well before Gentleman. Gentleman came out in ninety three. Yeah. So I'm wondering is, if Greg Dooley heard this song and thought, I can make it better. Yep. And it's peculiar that that's, he chose, you know, a female singer mm-hmm. for the first time, right? They had never had a guest vocalist on a record. They had had backing vocalists, you know. Right. But for somebody know, to take not, the lead from him right, on a song, like specifically that song, yeah, that's a little peculiar. It, especially uh, there's like I think the second verse there is aspects to the melody where I'm like wow this really yeah there are there's some very striking similarities um and I heard little bits and pieces of other bands both predating and postdating this band that made me realize that there was a little bit more going on here than probably your typical college rock album from 1991 which I think you know this was a weird record for me since I, I picked it based on one song. And I, the first time I listened to it, I was a little bit, not disappointed, but I was like, hmm, that 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 didn't really sit with me too well. And as I listened to it more, I realized that the problem was that I think this is very poorly sequenced because my f- I, I like everything from 8 to 12 on this record. Mm. I think those are all mm-hmm. really strong songs. But yep. like from 2 to 7, I kind of feel like it's kind of it's okay. There's nothing bad, but it's just, yep. it's okay. And then they really like, hit their stride on the second half of the record. Yeah. Um, that matches my, my notes. Exactly. Okay. I, I've read red stars next to eight through basically the end and nothing before that. And going back to what I was saying about, you know, there's a little bit more going on when you look at a song like golden thing, I, I was listening to it. I'm like, well, I can't place this. What does this sound like? And I was like, Oh, this candy. is, this is the drum beat to Bow Wow Wow's I Want Candy. Exactly. Yeah. But then I was like, wait a minute. There's something else going on here. It's that one, two, three, one, two, one, two. Th- what is that? Well, that's Bo Diddley. That's the yeah, Bo Diddley yeah. beat. Yeah. That was um, in my notes, too. <laughs> Dude, you read my notes? Jesus. I actually, I, I did. While you were in, 
While you were flying on your plane to Columbus, I flew down yeah. and stole your notes to, in Austin. You no, uh, so there's there's a little bit of you know, I, I don't know a lot of alternative indie rock bands in the early '90s or late '80s that were looking to like an old blues player or 1980s whatever you call Bow Wow Wow, um, manufactured pop by Malcolm McLaren of the of formerly the Sex Pistols management. Um, they weren't doing that. They weren't incorporating a lot of like blues riffs or blues tempos or or rhythm and blues, I guess. Um, So I found that interesting. The other thing that I noticed, uh, Kristen Hirsch's voice grew on me more and more as I listened to the record. And I think it's because she started to remind me of Stevie Nicks, especially on a song like Ellen West. I don't know if you picked up on that, but that could have been out of a Stevie Nicks 80s solo record. How much? Okay, I'm not, it's not clear to me how much each of them is singing. Do you know? Well, the two songs on here that Tanya Donnelly is solely responsible for writing are eight and nine. Not too soon in Honey Chain. And I believe okay. she she sings those two because you she wrote them. In her head. What? Eight is hook in your head, isn't it? Sorry, nine and ten. Okay. Not not too soon in Honey Chain are the two Tanya Donnelly okay. songs. Everything else is credited to Kristen Hirsch. So I assume that she sings them since she wrote them. But I believe that Tanya sings backing vocals and harmonizes on some of those. And I think there's like one or two where they just straight out sing the whole song together or most of the song together. Yeah, the Ellen West does have a kind of a Fleetwood Mackie kind of yeah. tone to it. Interesting. I hadn't picked up on that the first time. That was then, not in my notes. Okay. And then track 10, <laughs> or excuse me, track 12 is credited to the whole band as writing it. And and yeah, that one kind of felt that one had a Pixies wave of mutilation feel to me. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you, like the original wave of or not the original, the UK surf version, which is considered, I guess the the I don't know the more appreciated one, the slowed down version because wave of mutilation appears like as an up tempo song on one of the albums, but then there's like a a single that features it as a slowed down version. And that kind of reminded me of that, which makes sense because those were two bands that toured together in the UK because they were both on four AD. Um, So it's not unreasonable that some, you know, influence would have rubbed off on the two bands. There's actually a really good book called facing the other way or something like that. It's all, it's the history of the label four AD and it's mostly the, the guy who was basically responsible for running the label, which was, Ivo Russell Watts was his name. And he was like a really interesting character because he was a curator of music as much as he was a record label honcho. What I mean is like he actually put together these like 
compilation albums where he would pick his favorite singers from the different bands that he was working with and pair them up with various musicians and say, I want you to cover this song and I want you to do it in this style. And he would put out these really like lush and orchestrated and very dark and moody compilation albums of covers just weird combos of people singing weird cover songs that you didn't think they would be doing like doing big star is like a really slow torch ballad type song mm-hmm. um but uh he had some influence on throwing muses as the being their first american band he helped pick producers and that sort of thing and they worked with gil norton who not on this record but on a previous one who would go on and work with the pixies on a lot of their stuff so there's a lot of crossover between the Pixies, obviously with Tanya Donnelly leaving to join Kim Deal from the Pixies in Belly. Um, that makes sense. And then Kim Deal would leave Belly to form the Breeders. Lots of there stuff going it. on. There you have it. Anyway, back to the record. I understand what you're saying about the production. The production, and and Tony mentioned it as well. There's there's some datedness to the sounds. You mentioned the chorus sound on a lot of the guitars. Sound is dated i did notice that you know donnelly and hirsch are playing all the guitars and it gets pretty like on some of these songs they're doing some really interesting guitar stuff not too soon excuse me uh hook in her head track eight which is the longest mm-hmm. song in the record sort of starts out slow and then moves into this like weird mid-tempo kind of song and then ends with this really cool guitar like sonic youth sounding guitar en- ending Mm-hmm. Um, that I really enjoyed. And there are a lot of little interesting lead parts that get played. Counting Backwards has that for the first song. Um, I think it made me appreciate you know, them as guitar players more than anything. Uh, just listening to all the stuff that they were doing. And you know, like you mentioned, playing off of each other where one would be doing sort of like a straighter part and the other one would be doing, I guess, a, a lead playing off of it that was a bit more... How did you put it? More ambient, I guess? Yeah. Sometimes? I didn't say that, but that's... Not, not ambient, right. but that's like, yeah. Um, so let's talk about Not Too Soon, because that's the reason why I picked the record. Or, yeah, that's, yeah, that is the reason why I picked the record. I still... I think that that's a really interesting song. It's It's got an unusual chorus, but it's super catchy. At least I think so. And then it has this breakdown part in which they go into, like, a 19... They go into Be My Baby, essentially, like uh, uh, Phil Spector, Supreme's, you know, Ronette's breakdown with that boom, 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 beat. That's, you know, that's Be My Baby, which I was not expecting in the middle of this, like, pretty straightforward guitar rock song, but it fits perfectly. Yeah, I. it's interesting how they they, um, start the song off. The guitar riff that's kind of forgettable, but mm-hmm. you know the melody kind of carries it. But then once you get to the chorus, they just take the guitar and just turn it off almost. Like <laughs> they just pull it down and they pull it, push the drums really loud. Uh, so you get that. I think what you're describing there, that Phil Spector kind of sound, where it's just these big, you know, reverbed out drums with not much, with no cymbals and a vocal. So it just kind of strips it down to those elements, which is is really interesting and kind of makes the chorus. Like I think if they would have kept the uh, that guitar in there, I'm not quite sure it would have worked as well. 
Um, right. What, you know, my my initial much. impression of that song was kind of like, meh. But then when they got to that part, I, you know, totally perked up and thought, well, this is interesting. Okay. Like, uh, but, it, you know, from a mixing standpoint, it's, it's kind of odd. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, it's so guitar based in the, in the verse and it's not at all in the chorus. It's, you can tell they're just doing it through mixing. I, I kind of wish that they would have went back to the verse and said, okay, you know what? You, it's okay to have a little bit of that guitar in there, but we don't need, it doesn't need to drive the whole verse. Like let's, you know, maybe work on the instrumentation a little bit more to help, uh, make the chorus not sound so different. Basically like use what's working in the chorus and apply it to the rest of the song. But right. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, one of my favorite songs on the record. And it's weird that, you know, I mentioned about the structure of the album. To me, that should be like track one or two. Yeah. Like that should be up front. It's buried at track nine on yeah. the record. And it was it was the yeah. second single that was released. There was a video, you know, typical like early 90s college rock video that's, you know, probably was made for like $1,000. I mean, it doesn't have anything special going on in the video. Mm-hmm. But... Totally, if that could have been, that could have been a big big single. I don't know what, maybe it was because it was 91, it was a little too early for that. Maybe if it had been two or three years later. Take, put me in my time machine. What's going on in 91? Where am I at? Well, 91, this comes out, I believe I'd have to check the uh, history. So this is Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit, R.E.M., Losing My Religion, Girl Jam Alive. So this is when everything is kind of breaking. Yeah, and I'm trying to figure out where the the, the release date, like the actual. So this was yeah. released in February of 91. So this is like right at the beginning of the year. This is months and months and months before. Because those albums didn't come out until the fall, I believe. <clears throat> yeah, but I feel like um, uh, there's some other songs in here that, um, like Jesus, remember Jesus Jones was just early that year. The mm-hmm. Laws um, were early that year. I mean, those are bands that, you know, School of Fish. Remember, they had a hit around that. Uh, CD one hundred two point five won't let me forget that they had a hit because they play Three Strange Days. <laughs> are you uh, serious? I just heard it the other day. I'm not kidding. God. Uh, Divinals had a hit. So I mean, there was like you know, sort of. Um, what would you call this dream pop or something? I, see, that's the weird thing. I don't, it's really hard to classify throwing muses because song to song, there's not a lot of consistency. You know, the consistency well, is that, really that song. Well, how would you refer to that? Song? Not too soon. Yeah. It's a pop song. I mean, it's a, it's yeah. alternative pop song. It's not, yeah. um, it doesn't have enough. It's not blissed out. Like it's not like a chorusy guitar. Stuff. I mean, it's a pretty. Right. It's like that clean guitar, and then they add the second distorted guitar after like one time through the verse. So I don't know. It's pretty. It's it's a poppy song. It's got a. It's up tempo. It's Atomic Dustbin. No, yeah. There's no. There's another one. The Wonder Stuff. I don't remember that, but I, that name sounds familiar. Name sounds familiar, but yeah. I think we discussed them on another big audio dynamite. Rush. Was really? that the song? Rush. Uh, oh yeah. Lush, yeah, yeah. I mean, it it could have been who were on four AD as well. Could have been possible for this song to get a little more play. 
Yeah. I, I mean, I think it, the vocal is a little, I kind of wish the vocal was a little bit more up there, especially the hook. Um, it kind of gets lost in, in the reverb. Maybe, the, I mean, those are the kinds of things, you know what I mean? That radio right. stations make decisions on. Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't, so it doesn't that. present itself as a radio single until you get to the chorus. Right. The verse is a little, yeah, it's a little buried, the vocal. But I can definitely tell, you know, of the two songs that Tanya Donnelly wrote, they it makes sense why she would leave the band and go for Belly. Yep. You know, clearly this this was not a band that was writing poppy singles in the way that Tanya Donnelly wanted to. So sure. for her to leave and then go, you know, write Feed the Tree and those songs, that makes sense. Yeah, when you go back and listen to that, I'm I'm just revisiting Feed the Tree right now, and that's produced in a way that her vocal connects. Like they pull the instruments back, like especially when when they introduce her voice, it's like you know kind of a grungy intro, and then they pull everything back, and it's just her voice. <clears throat> it, it just it just presents it better. You know what I mean? Like they figured out from a production standpoint at that point, like how to. Uh, position her in the music and make it all work and i think on this throwing muse record she's a little it's it's a little slightly unresolved i guess in terms of how to how to make it all work with her style of singing and songwriting i i screwed up the timeline when i was talking earlier tanya donnelly is already in the breeders for the first record as a side project Mm -hmm. um in 90 belly formed after she left drawing muses. So I might have I might have misspoken. I'm sure I'll get some some feedback you son on that. Of a bitch. Yeah. What's wrong with you? I'm sorry. Cause I was like, why would Kim I was like I was double checking myself in my brain, like Kim Deal wasn't in Belly. They were in the breeders together. So yeah. sorry about that. It's I'm a human being and uh I am I am fallible. It's unacceptable. All right, I resign. (laughs) No. (laughs) So anyway, let's talk about, uh, Jay, our overall feelings on this record. We've talked about our issues with the production, what songs we liked and didn't like, why we thought it maybe could have been a bigger hit for, or, or had a bigger single with Not Too Soon, but for some reason didn't. Uh, let's talk about where we think it's a worthy album, a better EP, or a decent single, starting with you, Jay. You know, we mentioned earlier the second half of the record is much stronger than the first half. Actually, not even half. I would say 8 through 12, which isn't, isn't half. Um, I think the first seven songs, uh, there's some good moments, but it's just not quite, it doesn't quite work. Um, mm-hmm. things are a little stiff. I'm noticing the production a little too much. You know, the, they're not as defined, um, in terms of songs. Uh, it's even a little consistent in terms of the times. Like I'm just looking at the tracks and they're like three minutes, one minute, three minutes, two minutes, two minutes, two minutes, one minute. And then you get to hook in her head and it's six minutes, three minutes, four minutes, three minutes, four, like the album even gets longer on the second half and we like it better, which is usually the other way around. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> We're usually gravitating to the shorter songs, but I think that the first seven just sound like sketches of ideas here and there, you know, maybe graffiti for me stands out as, as being one of the, the ones I like more, um, more than others. 
I, I, I think I just like the simplicity of the uh, kind of downstrum guitar that just um, plays around with sort of the turnaround, the turnaround sequence, like the pickup part. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they, but then they do this weird thing where I love the verses in that, in that song. And I, and I like the space it gives the vocal and the, the, after that though, it kind of turns into a whole other thing. So again, not, not consistent on the first half. So I'm at an EP on that uh, one, two, three, four, five, about five songs. I'm six, with you. Six. I would take eight through 12 and I, I liked counting backwards. I think that it had a cool guitar line would fit with the other one. So I'm at six songs. Um, not that the other six are bad. They're just not up to the same quality and level of interest as the other six. So there you have it. Two EP recommendations for this record. I think there's really strong stuff and Jay does as well on the back half of the real Ramona. If you have an album you'd like us to review, please head on over to our dig me out website at digmeoutpodcast.com and hit up our request review page. And as always, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. That's it. Uh, for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out and we'll be back next week with another episode of dig me out. Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com, where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages. Yeah.